much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore. Justin Lore. Justin Lore. Justin Lore. Justin Lore. Was that your version of Candyman? Yes. <laughs> if someone if someone in this movie had done the Candyman thing that way, I think Candyman would have showed him and been like, you know what, buddy? You seem like you got your own stuff going on. I'm just yeah. going to leave it alone. I'll see you later. You mean Tony Todd would have showed up and been like, I know. Seems I'm like good. you're having a hard time right now. <laughs> hey, I'm Liam O'Donnell, by the way. Thank you. And you're listening to Hard Business. Uh, episode 80 Hard Business. Episode, is this what, 80? 80. Whoa. Eight zero. We got to come up with a good idea for Hundo. We do. We'll look at it. We'll figure it out. And as you have pro- hopefully figured out, we are hopefully. talking about 1992's classic. We'll call it a classic. 100%. Absolute classic. Absolute fucking banger of a film, Candyman, and its sequel, Candyman. Farewell to the flesh. It's very respectable sequel. Sure. It's solid, not so bad sequel. It's watchable sequel. You know what? You know, okay. I can't fucking hold it anymore. You know what my like least favorite slash favorite thing about this movie was? What? I couldn't decide as to whether or not I hated the catfish. Because on one hand, the catfish, like that DJ who did like the voiceovers, yeah. it kind of reminded me of the DJ from like the Warriors where she's like, watch sure, out, sure, you sure. We Like I was like, okay, I'm with this. But then like when I was like really thinking about it, I really don't like white Mardi Gras culture. Mm. You have to... When people say white Mardi Gras culture, right? Yeah. Often what they're referring to is Cajun Mardi Gras culture, which is not the same thing. Okay. New Orleans Mardi Gras is different. White or black. And that doesn't mean there aren't massive race issues in New Orleans. Yeah. But when people say, oh, that's white Mardi Gras... They tend to be saying that's Cajun Mardi Gras, which is what people do for Mardi Gras outside of New Orleans. Yeah. Which is like a picnic with weird references to chasing slaves, just so you know. Uh, And so, like, that's whereas, like, Mardi Gras in New Orleans comes with a bunch of different flavors. And I feel like this gentleman, uh, we don't get enough information about him to get a sense of what his connection is. The issue for me with Mardi Gras is the issue with any big cultural event that like if it's big and old enough then it has a layer that's just tourism and then a layer that's actual participation Mm -hmm. so like um this dude is very much presented as participating in the most obvious kind of mardi gras celebration but a lot of people in that area that's what you would have to do to live it's kind of like how a good comparison would be if anyone's ever been to not the new Austin, but the old Austin. Uh, as cool as Austin is, there's no secret stuff in Austin. Yeah. There's no like, like you go to Philly, right? If you don't know someone from Philly and you try to find all the cool things, it's not going to happen. Because unless someone holds your hand or you just happen to like find the most perfect blog ever or some shit, yeah. you're not going to find the coolest stuff. It's just not obvious. Mm-hmm. Whereas everything in Austin is like, well, couple times a year a few million people come through so if they don't know how to find my taco shop or my record store or my venue then i'm gonna lose all the money so like everything is like hey we're here you know yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah same thing with new orleans if there's a it, for me 
if there's a sense in which part of Mardi Gras is like, let's show this off to get as many tourists in as possible. Like, like what do we need to do to get to? Well, yeah, because how are you going to eat for the rest of the year if you didn't make any money during Mardi Gras? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's the 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 uh, fat and lean metaphor of of Lent is yeah, a yeah, little yeah. too literal in that sense. You know what I mean? The only Cajun that I trust trusted was Gambit. <laughs> Gambit is a terrible character, and he broke my heart by being by 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 stabbing the X Men in the back. The problem with Gambit is a he exists. Th- that outfit design is stupid. It's very Rob Liefeldy. I hate it. I've I I, I just feel like all the time. Without a single break, I need to wear a full combat outfit. A stupid, by the way, Please, full Liam, combat outfit. And, but then I need a trench coat over top because somehow that will keep people from noticing me. Liam, please, it's <laughs> I need to have a full combat outfit at all times, Mona me, and then a trench coat on top of that because people can't notice me. Also, I'm always kind of rapey towards the rogue. Yeah. Also, um, my hair does things that human hair is incapable of doing. Also, I could easily just throw sharp objects. Yes. But cards, though. I should throw cards. He could throw anything. If he had a pocket full of ball bearings. Yeah. This is the least focused episode of Hard Business we've ever done, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> we should at least start with the, with the Patreon. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. We really appreciate the fact that we are currently talking about Remy LeBeau, the shittiest 90s X-Men character that okay stop aside from stop maggot right maggot is the worst there are so many bad 90s x-men characters none that, that have run, risen to prominence like gambit has though uh what about the bone one who ripped her own bones out not as popular as gambit okay you're right no okay so gambit is the shittiest popular uh oh i have a controversial opinion i'm not going to share never mind no tell what is it what is it i think bishop is stupid fuck you I just think it's lazy. I no, think how is it lazy? lazy writing. A, it's it's literally someone being like, "How far in the future does Cable go again?" Okay, well let's just do something before that, so we can kind of undercut Lifefield. But like, I support not, nothing. That Rob but Lyfield. nothing we have to like commit to long term. Like it's just it's silly. Um, I don't like the design. I don't like. I think the power. His power is dumb. What? The thing in the 90s where everyone also had to have a gun, too. Everyone had to both shoot energy blasts of some kind. No need to explain them. And then also have a gun. No, stupid. Did you ever read the the issue of X-Men where he lays in the snow and saves up enough energy to fucking fight Sabretooth? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you say something? I'm sorry. Yeah, he beats the shit out of Sabretooth. I fell asleep. That's my second favorite Sabretooth fight. The first one is when Caliban gets all those fucking powers and... Bring street justice for the Morlocks. Anyway, Patreon subscribers, thank you so much for the <laughs> money you give us for whatever reason. Um, we really like it. In fact, if you're listening to this, I am telling you right now, please message us on Patreon. If you're a patron, message us on Patreon with your shirt size and your address because we have some stuff. It's ordered. It's on its way. I've said that for the past four episodes, but it's fucking. It's almost here. I have the. I could bring up the invoice on my phone right now. I'm not going to. I mean, it is a pandemic, so there's a slight delay on. Yeah, 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 yeah. happening. You're giving Chris Reject too much credit. I won't do that. So, yes, thank you so much. We have some really cool shit for you on the way. Um, yeah. And if you aren't a Patreon, if you're not a patron to us, that's fine. I understand that you want Liam and I to starve. That's totally cool. You love Gambit. That's fine. You, you are a fan of Gambit and Rob Liefeld as a whole. 
Um, You've got your fingers crossed right now. You're like, if only we could get a Gambit special issue featuring Bishop with Cypher when he melded with the Technovirus. I just think those three on an adventure would be really cool. And Forearm. Why not include Forearm? (laughs) Also, that bubble guy from the New Warriors, he's back for some reason. Speedball? Yeah. Oh, no. He's actually... Remember after he killed... Um, after he blew up 800 children in the beginning of Civil War. You're go- we were talking about the 90s. Civil became, War was the 2000s. I'm saying he, Speedball became kind of cool you with the fucking suit. You can't fucking jump to a new time period. We're talking about people who sucked in the 90s. Okay. And New Warriors was a, it, it was around in the 90s, right? Like yeah. it started in the 80s, but it, it kept Yeah, New Warriors was in the 90s. 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, patreon.com backslash in a punks. Was it Night Thrasher the laziest character Yes. No. Oh my God. Yes, he was. I was gonna say there was a character. There was an. Uh, there was. A, there was a. There was a character. I. I want to say the nineties or the early two thousands, who I might have just imagined this out of sheer anger towards just like the lame power sets that came out before, like the House of M and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His power was he could move westward at the speed of the Earth's rotation. Right. 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 That's right, so right. stupid. Who was the character? Who could stop the Earth's rotation? I think we might be talking about that. That was that I, guy? I don't, know, I don't know his name, but I think that was the whole thing. Is like That was his whole... like he, he would Because he could stop the Earth or whatever, he could use that to like... I don't know. It's fucking stupid. There was a lot of... <sighs> questionable choices made at Marvel. I also... No, no I'm not going to get into that either. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> when Psylocke had the psychic knife, I think that was stupid. Yeah. Just in the sense of like, why make a knife? It doesn't make any sense. Like, formerly, she could do anything from a distance, which I guess technically she still could, but she thought it just would look cool since she's a ninja now to also have a cool knife, psychic knife. Yeah, it's dumb. Makes me mad. Sorry. I got into comics at a very bad time, and I'm amazed that I don't have terrible taste in comic books. You really did, actually. Ugh. Anyway. This episode is also brought to you by the fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, yep. Liam, if I said to you, Uh-oh. I want to get a t-shirt made that's, don't do it. that says, uh, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to be creative. Farewell to the flesh. <laughs> sure, yes. Long live the new flesh. That's better. That's a real shirt. That is, that is a real shirt. If I said I wanted to get a shirt for our... Voivod. No. <laughs> What? <laughs> if I wanted to say, if I wanted to get bootleg Voivod shirts made, yeah, where would you tell me to go? Lehigh Valley uh, Creations. And aside from the fact that Chris Reject is willing to shit in the mouths of copyright laws, why else should I go there? Well, you know, they're professional, they're personable, uh, they do great work, they'll help you realize your vision, uh, they rock out to Voivod exclusively. Yes. Voivod and um, it's five o'clock somewhere. Uh, yes, and also um, poon, poon Tubin or whatever it's called. Oh, right, right, right. I don't like And that. the Chattahoochee song. Yeah. And, uh, and Scatman's World. Not that Scatman song you're thinking of. No, no, the other but one. his other Scatman song. Yeah, that's what they listen to at Lehigh Valley Creations. Lehigh Valley Cre- Creations, when they are pumping yeah, out. We, neither one of us has been able to say the word apparel since this ad started. No. Lehigh Valley Apparel 
creations. creations. But all you need to remember is X, L-V-A-C-X dot com. Because while they're listening to shitty music, they are pumping out quality products. Mm-hmm. Now you say, what kind of products do they pump out? Fucking anything. I mean, shirts, koozies, pins, uh, other shirts, sleeveless hoodies, uh, jester hats, Dr. Seuss hats, um, top hats for Evan Valella. Those weird suspenders you put on the top of your socks and then connect to the bottom of your shirt. Garter belts. Your, your so you can shirt, look like a fucking weirdo. Shirt straight. The shirt straighter thing. Yes. They will make all of those. In addition to that, they're good fucking people. They do a lot of cool shit. Chris Reject in August is doing a live wrestling event at the Mahoning Valley Drive-In. That is, is great. It's amazing. So, if you want to support a good, if you want to support good people and get cool shit made at a at almost unreasonably low price, go to www.xlvacx.com for more information. You can follow them on Twitter at the underscore LVAC. That's on Twitter, and they're on Instagram too. I think it's just the LVAC. So go check those out and just peruse. You know, they 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 they, they do cool shit. Liam gets his um, oh, what's the name of your stuff that you do? Rough your, your cut? stuff, rough cut. Jesus Christ. Liam gets a rough cut printed there. <laughs> They're pretty cool. Stop. It's neat. Stop. Justin just has to put me down every chance I'm he can. I'm not putting you get. down. Every chance he can. I'm, get. I just sound exasperated. Every chance. I got two hours of sleep. Why can't you sleep lately? Because I lay it, I look at the ceiling and I just fucking go crazy. Not in the good prince way either. Um, so yeah, also go check out Liam's t shirt company, Rough Cut Shirts roughcutfanclub.com now comes the time when I turn off all the lights I stand in the bathroom I look in the mirror make eye contact with myself and I'm just fucking sickened by what I see stop and I say five times in the mirror Liam 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 what have you done recently in horror you have disappointed me worse than if Tony Todd showed up behind me. <laughs> got a new book. Um, I did just watch the movie Deathline. Okay. AKA uh, Raw Meat, starring Lad and Donald Pleasance. How drunk was Donald Pleasance in that movie? Not as drunk as you would think. Interesting. Here's a few tidbits. So I started. I um, this is going to be for. A feature I'm writing with uh, Brian Christopher, who writes for The Daily Dead. Shout out to Brian Christopher. His best dude. And um, we're going to do this thing where we discuss movies that we deeply disagree about. He hates Deathline. I love Deathline. Okay. Um, Deathline was directed by Gary Sherman, who you might also know from such films as Dead and Buried and Vice Squad. And other stuff, but those are just my two. He's done a few other films, but mostly those two. Yeah. And Deathline stars Donald Pleasance. So I, I started watching the featurette. That's a conversation between Gary Sherman and the two uh, producers, including Alan Ladd. His brother is the lad that's in the movie, but I forget his name. David Ladd? I don't know. Something like that. Anyways, the point is, two bits of information that really stuck out to me. One, this movie almost featured Marlon Brando. Holy shit. Marlon Brando was meant to show up for the first fucking table read or whatever. And his son got sick. Famously got sick, if yeah. you guys remember. So if that historic event hadn't happened, his plan was to be the, uh, for people who've seen the movie, you know about this, the gross, cannibalistic, leftover railway guy in the film, you know, basically the monster of the film, was going to be an uncredited Marlon Brando performance. 
and the idea was they were going to put him in so much makeup that no one would recognize him. And then they were going to just drop a rumor that maybe it's Marlon Brando. And it was going to be actually Marlon Brando. Interesting. That was the plan. Other thing I was unaware of that I found interesting, um, in the movie they have Christopher Lee, who never broke through as a mainstream actor per se, but was known in horror, even at that time. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I think Deathline is 75, he says, not sure, 73, something like that. Um, the point is, Christopher Lee was like a name, right? Yeah. And they had no connections to him. They got him because uh, they had Donald Pleasance. Apparently, when this film came out, Donald Pleasance was like the hot shit. One of the producers refers to him as the Robert Redford of England. He was considered, as said by another professor, or professor, producer, a real actor's actor. And so Christopher Lee fucking jumped at the chance to be in the movie, in which he is in only one scene, so that he could share the screen with one Donald Pleasance. That's insanity. People said, like, they were obsessed with him. He was a hot ticket. What? Okay, guys, I'm not... This is coming across like I hate on Donald Pleasance. Quite the opposite. I love Donald Pleasance. But that love is poorly justified. As I have only seen him in the Halloween films. Deathline. Wake and Fright. That's possibly it. Did he do any other movies besides that? Apparently, because he, he went into Deathline as the money man. He was the reason the movie was getting made. The name that was selling the film. Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance. So now, my response to that knowledge is, I gotta look and see what movies Donald Pleasance has been in that I haven't watched and like get up on my Donald Pleasance knowledge. Yeah, you do. I mean, this is coming across more skeptical than I mean. Donald Pleasance is fucking great in this movie. He's fucking great in Wake and Fright. Um, I know he's not great in Halloween, but I appreciate him in Halloween. Yeah, really. the The joke of Donald Pleasance is not until Halloween two. Halloween two is when I'm like, oh man, what's going on with Donald Pleasance, guys? I don't know what's going on. Um, but you know, he is really brilliant in Wake and Fright, so I gotta I gotta give him that. And in this movie, I wouldn't say he's brilliant, but he is so charming and so funny, and he very much nails this British. Um, someone's asked you a question, and that question is stupid. So you're going to respond in the most ridiculous way. It's it's a complete non sequitur, but you say it with a look on your face and a look at them that everyone knows you have just taken the piss. And they, if you weren't the head of the department, they would be very upset with you. But you're the head of the police department, so everyone just sort of has to do what you say. And he's just barking orders at everyone and mocking them and making them feel stupid and wondering where his tea is. <laughs> he needs tea the whole movie. It's great. I love Deathline. Um, it is, quite honestly, one of the least nuanced uh, films about class I've seen in a while. Okay. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> in the film, right, uh, there's a couple. They're uh, students. One is an American, one is British. And they see a man, he's passed out on the platform. Hmm. And the, his girlfriend wants to help him, uh, help the man. And the boyfriend doesn't. And you could read that as gendered. I think it is meant to be a little gendered. You know, she wants to be helpful. But he plays it off like, in New York, we have guys like this everywhere. New York, whatever. And most of the British people are like, so you just were not going to, like when it becomes a thing later. Yeah. So you're just not going to help. That's what they do in you. Just, you just weren't going to help him. You just decided helping him wasn't enough. You know, people are, 
not up like offended, but a little like, what's what's this guy's problem, right? Only the plot of the movie is there was a railway station that they were building and it collapsed and they just went, well, guess that's that. Meanwhile, hundreds of workers are trapped in the collapsed station. They're just left there to live as like basically uh, uh, man-made humanoid underground dwellers and they just eat each other and have mutant children and get diseases from the sewer rats. And now there's only one diseased gross guy left some 80 years later he's clearly the child of subway hole fucking and he <laughs> eats, he grabs people in the subway to eat them because that's his only source of food that and diseased sewer rats and so like the whole movie is like oh you guys abandoned a bunch of poor people in a hole and now they feed on you in the tubes hmm. and like the 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 uh, the clear mocking of the, the this British culture, even as they go to discover this horrifying scene, it's just angry Donald Pleasance and the expert he brought with him from the museum, who's just everything is so fascinating. Oh, didn't I tell you in 1892? Blah blah blah. The expert on what? Uh, the history of the. Oh, the I was going to say, like, do they have an expert? No, on, but like, that's what I'm saying. He's the expert, right? And mm-hmm. he's just treating everything like, oh, 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 fascinating. Oh, how gruesome! Imagine how they lived. And I'm like, oh, I really feel like Gary Sherman, who, by the way, is not British. Is fucking mocking these people, like just mocking them. Like I just think it's a very uh, bitter movie about Britain and class. But I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. But that's how it felt. But you know, it's it's not super exciting. I don't think uh, Brian liked it because there's no jump scares. Uh, but there is a bit of gore, and it's a uh, it's real sad and depressing. You know, if you want to hear a guy mournfully say, "Mind the doors, mind the," do-. that's the only English she's learned. Mind the doors. I don't like that. Mind the doors. Mind the doors. That just reminds me of uh, the Game of Thrones and, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like that, but there's more pus because he's so diseased. Oh. There's a lot of goo coming off of his head. Interesting. Yeah, and he's got this one line of spit that's always coming off of his mouth. It's fucked, man. <laughs> it sounds fucked. I don't like that. I like it. It's good. Anything else? Unfortunately, no. Been watching a lot of stuff. But haven't done a lot of horror. I'm sorry. That's okay. I revisited. Uh, we just published this week's edition of This Justin. It's on Eduardo Sanchez's films, Lovely Molly and Altered. I've written about Altered before. I've talked about Altered before. I love that movie. I love Lovely Molly. Um, both those movies upset me very much for obvious reasons. One's about you know aliens. The other one's about you know horrible sexual assault. Watch those. I also watched a movie on Netflix called Our House. How was that? Um, well, I was talking to my coworker about it, and I started watching it, and it has like a cool, like a cool. The, the plot is basically like this: like college student invents this device to create like wireless broadcast energy, which is like a Tesla concept. T- Nikolai Tesla, not you know the shitty cars. Sure. Um, and right when he's about to perfect it, his mother and father die, so he's. Uh, charged with taking care of his younger brother and sister. Right. So instead of being in a lab, he has to uh, work on this device in their basement. And it turns out that instead of broadcasting energy, what it's doing is sort of like thinning the veil between this world and the next. So he basically turns their house into like a haunted house. You know, mayhem ensues. It's an okay movie. The editing is a little choppy. The pacing is kind of weird. And it gets like overly saccharine at times. But I'm not going to lie. 
I was like watching this movie and I was like, this is like just good enough for me to keep watching, but this is some like hokey borderline Hallmark sure, sure, shit. Sure, like, yeah. eh, nothing. And then like there's a scene at the end when like there there's this like subplot in which they find out that their house used to be was lived in by a man who killed his own daughter and was like a child killer. So then like that man, the ghost of that man, like kidnaps like their the young their young daughter, the young young sister. And when they show that ghost, I was like watching this movie and I was like way I was like, this is stupid. Like, what the fuck is this? And then when it manifests, it was very like shadow people-y. And I was like, okay, now I'm fucking scared. <laughs> this fucking stupid movie has me shook. God damn it. And uh yeah, I mean it's fine. It's it, it, it I mean, like I said, it's 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 watchable. It's not nothing too crazy. I, you know, I'll give it credit because it got made. And it scared me. But um, yeah, it's Our House. It's on Netflix. Go check it out. You know, I did do something else that's horror adjacent. What's that? What's to mention. Watch that movie, Shirley. You know about this movie? Yes, yes, yes. With Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Shirley is a fictional film about a real person. So Shirley Jackson. Jackson, right? Shirley Jackson. uh, House on Haunted Hill. The Lottery. The Lottery and other, other things. Uh, she sort of had a no- notoriously tumultuous personal life. This film exaggerates it a lot, so don't think you're watching a true biopic. <laughs> but, you know, she... Is this like The Beautiful Mind for Shirley Jackson? Well, no, it's just sort of... Well, I'll get to it. But point is, um, she was an author. Uh, she, Her husband was a professor. He was famously unfaithful, and he uh, controlled all the money, um, even though... You know, she made all the money. Uh, he was, even though the he taught at a college that was very expensive, she made all their real money came from her right. Yeah, yeah. And he controlled all of it. Uh, maybe as a way to keep her around while he fucked all of his undergrads and grad students. Maybe I don't what know. A monster. But he was. He was again. I don't know if he was abusive beyond that. Um, but they they, had, they did not have a happy home. Let's okay. Say. Uh, and she died not young, but not that old because of poor health and drinking and cigarettes so i think the film sort of postulates from that um, a slightly more elevated unhappy home and uh he has a student teacher basically a guy who's finishing his dissertation is going to come and he can't find a place to stay so uh this this gentleman whose name i should remember but i don't remember but shirley jackson's husband is like oh come stay with us it'll be great and as soon as they get there He's he pulls this man's wife aside, who has just taken time off of school to be a wife and to have their first child. But you know, in a sort of maybe not realistic, but that's what she's thinking. Sense is planning to go back to school. Like she's still living in a world where she's going to have a life. He pulls her aside and says, "You know, Shirley's not doing well in our house, and uh, our maid just quit. And so if you could help out around the house while you're staying with us, that'd be really great. You know, just a little bit of cooking and cleaning, that'd be great. And of course, the house is a destroyed mess. Shirley can't write and do anything else, so she's useless. She doesn't do. When I say she doesn't help around the house, I don't mean in the sense of like a housewife. She doesn't help out around the house the way like a functioning human being. Like she's sub teenager level. You hmm. know what I mean? She does nothing, and this. Dude is trying to be this like full time professor, so he relies on the the wife of this guy who's like under him, you know. So there's like a power differential there. More and more. Meanwhile, Shirley's just antagonistic and intense, and just this uh, Emily. Wait, did I say Emily Elizabeth? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth 
plays her very much as someone with like an antagonistic personality disorder, just like a, I'm going to fuck with this person, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it starts off like this uh, almost like psychological thriller because it's like, what new thing is Shirley going to do to torture this girl today? Two things sort of set this movie apart, though. One is slowly in their codependent manipulation, Shirley Jackson and the, the, the woman begin to like connect interesting and the movie starts to become about them almost having like a non-sexual love affair like they start to become like completely interlaced with each other uh in a way that like does not feel great or terrible you know they just start to intertwine Hmm. uh and a lot there's a lot of dream sequences like there's a lot of like weird things and all of those parts all the interstitials weird dream sequences are sort of representing how emotional they are are like some of the best horror movie shit i've seen in a while really i think it's like intentional i think it's like a way to acknowledge that like shirley jackson is technically a horror uh maybe not horror but genre writer you know absolutely so they work those elements into the film even though the story is more straightforward per se so i don't want to ruin the ending that's on netflix um no no it's not on Netflix. No. I don't think so. If it is on Netflix, then have fun with it. But I don't think it was on Netflix. Well. Surely. And it made me want to read that book because I've never read The House on Haunted Hill. I have, of course, read The Lottery because I don't think you can graduate from high school. No, they make you. The you have to read The Lottery. No, it's not on Netflix. It definitely occurs at a point where she's written The Lottery so long ago that people still want to talk to her about it, but she's clearly tired of talking about it. So it's like part of the anxiety of the film is the anxiety of someone trying to read. They sort of portray her trying to write as being like an excruciating experience for everyone around her, you know. So anyways, check it out, Shirley. Cool. Especially if you like weird psychological shit. Which we do. Oh, yes. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we come back. We're going to talk about 1992's horror thriller, John Candyman. Candyman. We'll be right back. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror, you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Bernadette! It ain't safe around here. I don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jean? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Helen? behind the mystery 
I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all... Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. And we are back to talk about 1992's Candyman. Candyman. I don't think we need to tell you what this movie's about. I don't think we need to tell you who fucking made this movie. I don't think we need to tell you who's in this movie. I actually don't know who made the movie in the sense of who the director was. The director was Bernard Rose. Mm. That's not important, though. But it's based off a Clive Barker story. Fucking A, it's based on a Clive Barker story. Yeah. Um, side note, on Twitter, did you see the... I think it was... Was it Trey Lawson who sent the who posted the the the, the art original art yes. for what Candyman yes. looks like in the story? Yes. That shit is fucking nightmare fuel. Right, not at all like Tony Todd. So this this is originally like a lot of Clive Barker's things, a British folk horror yes. vibe, not dissimilar to say Rawhead Rex. <laughs> Much better film adaptation than Rawhead Rex, though. Right, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So then the movie's getting made, and Bernard Rose decides to move it from merry old England, yeah, Liverpool, to Cabrini Green, Chicago. Excellent fucking choice. We're going to see. We're going to see. Well, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Let's just... Okay. I said this on Twitter. I'm just going to say this right now. I love this movie. It is... Uh, okay, yeah. In a, in a little bit, me and Justin are going to air our concerns about Candyman. But these concerns, when we talk about our concerns about Candyman, right? Yes. This would be like uh, critiquing the cymbal sound on Seasons uh, uh, in the Abyss. Or, you know, or... The gong, you mean? Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like critiquing the bass tone on your favorite Morbid Angel record. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's this is not meant to say guys. For, for a little lightheartedness, it's like critiquing the guitar tone and through being cool by saves the day because we <sighs> want to keep it upbeat. Yeah, true, yeah. True. But in other words, the point here is that um, we love this movie. I watched this movie so many times when I was a kid. It is one of the first, I don't know, obviously not the first, but it's one of the first horror movies that I like. Really cared about. Farewell to the Flesh. I remember seeing the. Movie, the advertisement for that when that movie came out on the back of comic books and being yes. fucking terrified. Yes. So um, we have th- concerns about the film and the ways the film is not perfect, but those, it's important to say up front, we think this movie's really good. Yes. I would go so far as to say, I'm fucking amazed how good the movie, you know, hey, we've got a weird folk story written by a gay British man that is like, not even his top 10 stories as far as I'm concerned. We're going to make a movie out of that, but fuck England. Yeah. Let's put it in the hood. Huh? The hood of hoods. We're going to put it in the projects. Uh, But, you know, we need to appeal to the white people. So uh, instead of a black main character, we're just going to have a woman who's sort of the academic version of a colonizer. We'll just have her as an anthropologist going into her own town as if it's the fucking jungle yeah uh and then she'll be writing about folklore and stuff and it'll be like a weird like uh urban legends vibe it's cool don't worry it'll be fine that should be a fucking stupid movie and this movie is 
terrifying. This is a terrifying. This movie is so fucking frightening. It's like almost illegal. (laughs) I really think that's true. There's, and like it's just simple haunting imagery, Mm -hmm. like nothing fucking grotesque, nothing surreal. Right. Just simple haunting imagery makes this movie next level fucking frightening. Right. I, I like the first time we see Tony Todd is like. That's like the first time I got like a fucking hand job. Like just the way I'm fucking serious. I'm serious. Fuck. The way they reveal him in that parking garage, yeah. that should be taught yeah. in film school as yeah. like this is how you reveal a villain. Yeah. It's the same way that I I remember opening night and this is going to seem like it's out of left field, but I fucking I watched this movie and I still I'm like oh, Garth Ennis is Godzilla. When we first see Godzilla in his full form, how the camera like tilts over the, sure, it's like okay. it's tilting over to his feet and it slowly pans up. That is just like, God, it's just amazing. This I think this movie's better than Godzilla, but sure, that's fine. I mean, it is, but I this oh my god, I'm just so I'm so excited and worked up right now. I just want to say objectively, I love this movie. I think this movie is amazing. I think it is a near perfect film on a technical level, but it is a mess when it comes to thematically. So, uh, okay, who is Bernard Rose? Tell me about this person. Uh, let me look up on my iPad who Bernard Rose is. God, you're so you're so technologically sound right now. Bernard Rose is a English filmmaker. That's interesting. Right. right. Okay, so he's made <clears throat> He's directed A Bomb with No Name on it. The Wreckers, Looking at Alice. He directed the video for UB40's Red Red Wine. He directed the video for fucking Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Smart Money, Body Contact, Paper House. He's not directed... He directed Inside Out 3 and 4. What? Literally the only good movie this guy has directed has been Candyman. Here's the deal, y'all. Okay, before we get into the criticism stuff, we can just talk a little bit more... Uh, Part of the reason this movie is amazing is Tony Todd. Tony Todd manages to be classy and menacing at the same time. He manages to be tragic, right. sympathetic, right. and monstrous. Right. And not in this, like, you know, you could say the same thing about like Boris Karloff and, and Frankenstein. Yeah. But like people tend to forget that Candyman is not a good person. Right. Like he has this air of like, come with me my beloved and you're like yo he's gonna fuck the shit out of her and then do it in a very respectful way and then stay with her and treat her right except the fact that he kills innocent people yeah so uh, okay so uh, this is already leading me to some of the criticism so here's the deal y'all in the film people when they talk about Candyman they talk about Candyman as, as if he is his own sort of separate Almost like a, an act of vengeance. And I think part of that comes from the sequel. I think the sequel plays it out more. But yeah. in this film, what is suggested that is maybe not explored enough is that Candyman has incidents where he uh, has a series of murders. And when he, when he does that, he's working through a person. He has a patsy. There, there is someone that is like almost like an avatar. Yeah. And... He uses that person to build himself up because Candyman, and this is, again, not I don't hear enough people talking about this way, is a parasite. He is a parasitic story. He lives in the hearts of the people who fear him. Yeah. This is part of the reason that, narratively, 
it makes sense that he actually preys upon the black community. They're the ones who remember him. You know, he's not re- uh, revered as much in uh, the white community, though he does act. You know, that there are incidents where people hear the story and then they think they're invincible, and they think just because Sam Raimi is their brother, they can do whatever they want. I forgot that Ted Raimi's in this yeah. for like a fucking second, and they get murdered. But the idea is like he refers to the community of Cabrini Green as his congregation, mm. that they have a level of respect for him that keeps him alive. But i.e. Clive Barker in this sense is ripping off Neil Gaiman or the other way around. Around Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a common idea of like that these the there would be these beings who are fueled by our fear of or awe of or respect or belief in them. So when people go, I don't get it, why isn't a movie about Candyman kill him just killing white people because he's mad? That's not what it's about, though. And the reason you're saying that is both the reason the movie works and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So the problem with the film is that it's a great idea to move it to Cabrini Green. It's also a problem because the movie's suddenly set in this context of race in which Candyman has a relationship to white people. And white people have a relationship to him. And he has a relationship to black people. And black people have a relationship to him. And obviously, these communities have a relationship with each other, especially in a segregated city like Chicago, in a community like Cabrini Green that is like being disenfranchised. And the film largely doesn't fuck with that. In fact, literally, I mean, when I made the joke about her being a colonizer, that's, guys, anthropology is maybe the second most problematic social science there is. Anthropology is literally the ones who are like, yeah, we'll just go to this tribe, we look at them, we touch some of their dead people, we steal some of their stuff, bada bing, bada boom, we get what they're about. We yeah, figured it out. We figured, we know. And so, like, I mean, that's not, you know, she's involved in folklore, so it's a little detached from anthropology, but you know what I'm saying? Like, she she has a, she's coming to this community with a transaction in mind. She needs them to help her stuff be good because the annoying fat guy who's the only one who's in the other movie. I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> the fucking worst. He is going to destroy her thesis. So like she has a need. She's motivated by something. She has a desire for something. There's a there's a thing there. Um, and I don't think the film is equipped to deal with those complicated relationships. No. And what makes the what makes it even more frustrating is it's not just like Candyman is a black guy with a hook for a hand. Candyman is a black man with a hook for a hand because he was the son of slaves who slept with a white woman and white people cut his hand off and covered him with bees and then he died. So it's like you you now have this like I don't know why you had to sing that because it makes me so angry that this movie oh yeah like they made his origin story even more loaded with this concept of fucking racial right. tension. Well, and uh, well, we're gonna talk about this, but. I think in this movie, too, it's said in a matter of fact. It's not given the moment of horror it deserves. It's just, yeah, yeah, he did a thing. That's what happened. Yeah. All right. And then they just go on. It's not given the weight. No, not at all. Uh, And it really just, he just is a figure of pain and not of a specific pain. No. And it's like the way it's set up, the way his origin story is set up is it, it it almost makes it like it it sets them up to be like a vengeful spirit, right? Which in and of itself is kind of problematic. Yeah. Um, but then it just doesn't 
I don't know. Like that's I'm, well, okay. I'm so 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 um, it's set up that you would think he's getting revenge, but he's not. Right? He's taking he's he's hurting people indiscriminately. Um, in some sense, there could be a metaphor there for maybe uh, the pain of a community that kind of lashes out blindly. But that's a problematic thing you're one step away from saying it well i don't care that they're protesting but do they have to burn down their that's what i'm saying like yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's a feeling of if he's the embodiment of of justified black rage well we have a problem here because he kills indiscriminately yeah that's not that's not helpful um also he spends a whole movie mm, again i don't think it's a sexual relationship actually i think he <laughs> i think he wants her to be his victim in in a way because so his desire for her is uh, it feels very sexual, but you know he th- he doesn't want to love her. He wants someone to be the pat. He he wants someone know, to be but his he avatar. Talks to her like he sedu- There's I an know, act of there's seduction. A, it's seductive. And Have so you like talk to Tony Todd. He fucking I he I would be his victim. Like he shook my hand. I fucking right, melted. Right. But you know what I'm saying here. They can't help then with the movie can't help itself by choosing Virginia Madsen, who is fine. Like she's good in the role. I you know she's not my favorite part of the movie, but I think she's strong. Yeah, she's great. She's you know, uh, they wanted someone who was attractive. She's attractive, yeah. you know, but she seems old. She's not an adult. She's not like a scream teen. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. an adult woman. You end up having this supernatural black man trying to seduce her. The whole movie, it's a problem. It's a, it's a, it's a heavy thing. And I don't think this director, again, I don't know anything about him. It doesn't strike me like he understands. There's just a whole. He's thrown a whole lot in a pot. And now he doesn't understand the things he's messing with. It's a great soup. There's a lot of great flavors in there. Yes. But I don't know. <sighs> okay, so let's back this up. The reasons reasons the movie works. One, I don't know why I'm not impressed by anything else this guy has done. I think tech on a technical level, this is fucking really well done. Oh, my God. The editing is unbelievable. The cinematography in this movie, there's a lot of really insanely well done shots of... Right. Urban Chicago, Cabrini right. Green, that right. are, they make it seem like, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but they make it, f- like, Cabrini Green, the way this is shot in this movie feels like, it's like this, like, microcosm is the only way I can explain it. Like, it feels like this, I, like, people say this movie takes place in Chicago, I think it's more appropriate to say this movie takes place in Cabrini Green. It's, yeah, I it's, mean, there's other parts of Chicago in it, but most of it is is either the school or Cabrini Green. Yeah. Um, <sighs> side note: This is part of the problem too, though, because if you know he he trades Cabrini Green like he's shooting in the jungle. Yeah. There's not a lot of difference here between the way he treats Cabrini Green is not that different than how the directors of Cannibal Holocaust treat the jungle. Mm-hmm. Like this is a dangerous place. I mean, he humanized. Okay, I will say uh, on the plus side. Also, one of the reasons the movie works. Um, obviously, not all the characters. There's some really problematic stereotypes in this movie, but um, for the for the characters that we get to know a little bit more, there are some really human, uh, interesting characters living in Cabrini. Yeah, I love the little kid who's sort of like Virginia Madsen's sidekick. Yep, that kid is fucking cool as hell. Yep, uh, he, the the the. Uh, Mother, whose whose child is taken, I think that actress is really great. Yeah, I think she's given some stuff to do. Virginia Madsen's colleague is awesome. She's great. Um, but to say the way we're presented, Cabrini Green is really meant to 
make it look like the most horrifying. I mean, okay, if I thought this was a message movie where this guy's like, look at this place where you've made these people live. But I just don't feel like that. I feel like he just saw it and was like, wow, this is crazy. Man, we're going to get some good shots here. Another issue, <sighs> Jesus Christ, I just, I keep, the end of this movie. Right. In which Virginia Madison's character, Helen, Helen, at her funeral, um, spoiler alert, when like, you know, the fucking priest, he does a thing, and he's goodbye, and she's gone, she's buried, and then like Xander Berkeley looks up, and he sees like the, the, the line of like black people who are coming to pay their respects. Yeah. Um, that reminded me, um, of the portrayal of the Rom in Thinner. Right, right. It's very paganistic and not in like, not in a way that say, uh, the Wicker Man is paganistic. It's, it's very like other, otherness-y. Well, what the movie does is gives her this moment where she overcomes Candyman and in so doing doesn't fuel his legend but creates her own yeah so she basically supplants Candyman as the new sort of whatever so um to put it in some really base ways uh she encounters the negative equivalent of a magical negro yeah and then like a lot of savior white people do replaces him Mm -hmm. like uh in avatar where that dude becomes the best avatar yeah, yeah, yeah. or or dances of woods where Kevin Bacon he becomes a uh, heavy foot bird or whatever shakes with the bird or whatever. Yeah, yeah or any number of uh, or the entire idea of Tarzan. <laughs> All you got to do is put a white baby in the jungle and soon he will be king. The fucking animals will train him. They'll yeah. dance with him and he'll become king. Yeah, not of course. There's plenty of African babies around that could have become king yeah. of the jungle, but they weren't white. Mm-hmm. That's this isn't a one-to-one but that's sort of what happens here is like again i think this is an effort just to make a more grounded scarier movie that feels new and it feels modern you know when this came out this felt very contemporary yeah whereas whatever clive barker story is it's not gonna feel contemporary to a single even if they said it in that day even if the movie's like this is happening right now they go immediately to a cottage and you go no this is is not right now it's okay for i don't want to get on a tangent but nothing clive barker does feels contemporary no it's all insanity and dream world (laughs) so i think the effort to urbanize this quote unquote not a term i enjoy but i think that was the probably what was said on fucking set and if there's one film that it does it accurately and in the sense that it tries to move it to an urban setting i definitely say it's this right um i think it just it, it tells a story that works thematically to the original narrative yeah there's a monster he lives in our nightmares he's revenge embodied he needs you to be a part of his thing by showing mercy and being heroic you disempower him and in a way in your death you kind of replace him yeah that all kind of works within that original idea but race in america is complicated man and the ways that this plays with other ghosts you know mm-hmm. if, if if our media is haunted by the pain both in the real world and uh the fictionalized uh reified pain in art uh my man's playing with some ghosts he doesn't understand i don't think no th- this is um this is the f- cinematic equivalent of like 
a college a white college student with dreads standing in like the quad yelling like fight the power at a at like an african pan-african protest like you're like yeah man your heart's really in the right place like we we know you mean well right but like just don't do it i mean this movie accomplished a lot just by having such a cool classy um black villain at a time when villains were weirdly becoming the heroes of these movies yeah. instead of the 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 I was about to say, instead of becoming the villain. But that's true. You know, Freddie had made it cool. Yeah, yeah. He became like a goof at this point. And so Candyman steps onto the scene, this tall, handsome, deep-voiced uh, uh, African-American man just, you know, join me. Yeah. You know? So fucking menacing. That means something. And I don't want to take that away from anyone and say, well, you didn't get how it's also a problem. Like, that's not my point. It meant something to me. It meant something to lots of people. Candyman is a crazy movie. However, I really do think if you stop and think about how the movie works, especially if you are thinking like, okay, well, here we are. Um, since, I mean, Candyman really represents since the era of black exploitation. Like, we could literally say... As black exploitation wanes and is replaced in the eighties, we know from the work done in our friends' documentary Horror Noir mm-hmm. that we hit a real low point for black horror for for black representation in horror movies. And Candyman is a real return, like a real like no, like uh, you know who goes to see these movies are black folks, it's yeah, African American yeah. people go to see these movies. So we're you know we're gonna put them on the screen. So in that sense, this is a bulwark moment, like a real big fucking deal. And as such, often the first real big fucking deal, you look back and go, ah, that wasn't great, was it? That was the, that we didn't do that well. That was not, you know, and that's how I feel about this is that like um, everything about it works as a movie. It's actually, I wouldn't say perfect, but it is a damn near perfect horror film. I just wish it knew the other things it was playing with. You yeah, know? Um, it's kind of like how I actually think uh, we've talked about it before that we both think that Get Out is like almost a perfect movie. Like it's just very super. Yeah, well it's 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 right there. Um, but I understand that there are some people who generally agree with the message who actually think thematically it doesn't work for what they what their politics are. They're like, well, this part's weird. I don't like that. You know, whatever. But I don't. That's not about taking it apart structurally, I don't think. You know, at least I don't know anyone who's like, also, the movie's dumb or yeah. boring. Maybe I do, and I don't. They haven't told me. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get across here. We, I feel like we have to do both things, especially in the context we're in right now, which is like, we're like, oh, let's do Candyman, you know? We're talking about a world where we want racism to end. Let's talk about this very important black horror film. And then we're, uh, you know, I'm sure you had a similar experience. I'm watching it going, man, a lot of Candyman trying to trying to seduce this white lady. That's a, that's a big theme of this movie. And a lot of her being in neighborhoods with menacing young black men and a lot of like, I mean, even when she gets attacked in the bathroom, there's a whole like, the police come and they're like, oh my God, what were you even doing there? And the, the whole way that scene is played is, it feels like a lot of this movie is for white people. I, uh... That that it centers her experience and it and it others even though it humanizes it too, it also others the folks on screen who live in Cabrini Green. I mean, let's not forget, like like I said before, you know, it it, it sets it up to make you know Candyman's origin 
was a hate crime. Yes. So it's like by by clearly explicitly stating his origin and then making the bad guy, maybe I'm looking too too much too deeply into things, but it's almost like it lets white people off the hook. By being like, it right. doesn't matter that they did this terrible thing, no, and they cut his fucking hand off, and they sm- and he died as agonized. None of that matters, right. because like, I mean, he's a bad guy. He kills innocent people, and what innocent people does he kill? Black people. But I think the issue is that it's not the the thing to be clear is I don't think it's trying to do that. No, not at all. I think he he just isn't. It's not on the table. He's not. Con- it's it's the movie is black because black is cool again and we want to make a cool movie. I yeah. mean I really think that's what's at stake here. And that feels really dismissive. Uh and that's not what I mean to do. I think it's a f- fun great movie, you know, whatever. But I just think like it's just a bummer because it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity that there is. I mean, honestly, it just got me so excited for the Candyman that's going to come out. Yeah, the Nia De- DaCosta film. Yeah. yeah. Because what how could that be different if you was made by someone who actually understood the dynamics and had free reign to do what they wanted? Oh Didn't yeah, feel constrained to a, an already existing audience. And well, we're, I guess we're going to find out. But for me, um, that's not to say that this is not a great movie that you shouldn't see. But oh man, I was just struck. I was struck by how I don't feel like the director understood the waters he was in. How uh, there's this all this. Uh, interesting kind of like uh, folklore religion stuff sort of under the surface that it never really touches on and it, in order to maintain that cosmology it has to have him only mostly plaguing the black community which again then opening scene with two white kids actually uh plays off of i mean remember in the 90s one of our big fears are let's say america's big fears was like these horrible urban environments that we've been afraid of since the 70s. They're starting to invade the suburbs. I mean, there was this real portrayal of like drug use in the suburbs as being an invasion from the city. Like as somehow drugs had only existed in cities before now. But now in the 90s, somehow drugs are leaking through. They're getting through our front lines, our defenses. Thank God that way of thinking died in the 90s. Oh, fuck. But you know what I mean? Like that was such a period for that, that that like having this mythology that lives and thrives and exists in this black community, having it open with these white teats yeah. really represents the idea that like maybe urban legend is a little too urban. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's it's just and if you don't hear the resonances between Candy Band and later on our fear of killer bees that I don't know what to do for you. Literally. That I don't know what to do for you. It's right fucking there. Uh, you know, you like, I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but just an interesting tidbit. Those were like, Tony Todd actually had like hundreds of bees in his mouth. It's unbelievable. He is the God. That, and like, I was like, because I remember hearing that and it had been a minute since I seen Candyman. So I'm like watching Candyman. I'm like, when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, they just show that for like a second. But there's like a good 10 seconds long of him like opening his mouth and like spitting bees out. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, those bees were in his mouth for I would easily three minutes. Like a long. It wasn't just like, all right, put the bees in his mouth. Action. Cut. Get the bees out of his mouth. Like they're there. Um, I want to talk about like some of those like we had said earlier, some of the way the way that some movies like legitimately scary. I think one of the things that really sets it off is that 
Tony Todd in this movie is a very slow and deliberate. He there's just something about him that's so like smooth and glacial and it's not like Freddie where he's like manic and like always like talking shit. He he he's a very like I guess the closest you can oddly enough the closest you could say is like Pinhead. Like okay. he just kind of exists and he floats from here to there. Um I had posted on Twitter like the scene where Helen is in like the psychiatrist's office and she's like or not that it was she's in like I guess the head of the mental institution she's in and Candyman appears behind that guy and fucking guts him is so shocking and startling because the way Tony Todd presents the character through much of the movie which is this very like romantic like vamping character like Helen be my victim and he's always like wooing all over the place which yeah I don't think that's the way I don't think wooing is like no no he, he's wooing her yeah and then like the kills in this movie are so fucking violent um yeah, it turns out killing with a hook is not exactly, uh, you know, surgery. Yeah, it's not a fucking precise method. Like, you're dead. It's not. You know, it's it's yeah. it's fucking ghastly. Yeah. Also, that scene where he, what right after that, where he like flies out the window, um, that didn't scare me when I was younger. But I was watching that now, and I was like, oh fuck, there's something about that that is really otherworldly and. Well, and it's so clear he does it to get her to go. That you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he could have just. He could have just evaporated, but he's like, and this is the window. I'm going to fly out of the... I'm going to turn... Let me get this out of your way. Yeah. All right. There we, we go. go. Uh, we kind of touched upon it before, but the performance in this, the performances in this movie. There is one bad performance in this movie. That's yeah. the the undergrad that uh, Xander Berkeley leaves his wife for. <laughs> oh, yeah. She fucking sucks. She's so bad. Every other performance in this movie is like next level. Like Virginia Madsen is amazing. Tony Todd is amazing. Fucking Xander Berkeley is you know i actually think virginia manson is like not amazing in this okay movie. you know what i've i really don't whatever i'm not saying she's bad i just she's not my favorite part of the film well no of course not i'm just saying like she i, I don't know it's rare to have a horror movie where you have this many great performances and i i think she's great i even think like that scene at the end when Xander Berkeley is like in the bathroom and he's like mourning her death. That's really fucking sad. Like it's very sincere and it, it it's it's really like you could like I honestly think it's kind of shitty that she kills him. I mean it's not because he had her committed. He was fucking some an undergrad behind her back. So it's like I don't exactly feel bad for the guy, but it's strange that he gave a level like that level of intensity to a character that we were supposed to hate. And I think it almost makes him like somewhat sympathetic and it makes his death when she comes back and fucking like guts him, whatever. I make I think it makes it that much more gruesome and horrifying. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that I mean he's kind of the that's sort of the theme and, and what's funny is that's one of the things the film does very well that also makes it difficult. But having him be unfaithful makes her interactions with Candyman that much more romantic. Yeah. Because you know that. You know. The first time she's like, hmm, you seem a little close with her. Yeah. As an audience member, you're going, oh, he's, fucking yeah, he's fucking her. He's fucking her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's effective, but also an issue that we know from the beginning that Xander is cheating. Yes. Because it adds that extra... You know, she's the, 
I mean, a cuckold is not a woman, but you know what I mean? She's the, the, the scorned wife. And then this other figure, this large, beautiful man. Fucking criminally gorgeous man. Desires her. Yes. So I think that adds that to the movie, which, again, that level of seduction is very interesting. It's just in the context of this movie with the complicated race dynamics at play. Knowing that he's already suffered the fate of loving a white woman. Hey, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Virginia Madison. I'm, uh, you know. But I'm saying, like, like the film sets that up. Yeah, yeah. He's already dead for violating uh this uh violating this imagined idea of racial purity he's already violated it once and suffered so now he's just gonna go for it again and we're just gonna not acknowledge that that's part of what's going on it kind of it kind of implies that he's unable to help himself because right yeah and um and also the idea that i think you're right them all showing up at her grave not just the imagery of it which does feel very sort of pagan but also the honor of it you know we acknowledge our white savior we acknowledge this woman as our new candy man yeah because we're too uh i don't know uncivilized or whatever to like just be like yay now we don't have a demigod of the fucking uh uh, the projects, hood. yeah. <laughs> the projects don't need a vengeful demigod. Yeah, they must always have a vengeful demigod, and now it's her. Like, it's fucked a little bit, you know. It it has a very sort of fetishizing, fucking colonialist view that like is is a little rough. Again, I kind of love that they decided to make it. I mean, it's so nineties to be like we're putting it in the projects. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get like all that sort of appeals, but it's also if everything in this movie happened the same, but uh, they changed up some of the just some of the racial dynamics, we would just be talking about the movie being awesome. Yeah, so exactly. awesome, awesome, scary movie. Yeah, but I don't think it's unintentional that he made these decisions. It sure just felt right at the time. Like I said, and now you're like, whoa, oh, god, white college student. Yeah, look, that's exactly what this guy is. Side note: Tony Todd's voice. Yeah. How is it possible that it's comforting and like soothing? Yeah. And fucking terrifying. Yeah. Do you remember was it season two of The Flash where he plays, he does the voice of, of Professor Zoom? Yes. Holy shit, that was frightening. Yes. Man. Even the thing where the local drug dealer calls himself the candy man. That guy is great. I actually like that too because it's like, of course, this figure is so large that local toughs are like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the fucking the, candy man. The shitty ass Morris Day motherfucker from Purple Rain just like, <laughs> I'm the candy man, bitch. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. But it makes sense. Like, yeah. that all makes sense. It's, like I said, only, you know because of the racial dynamics and because of the year came out and because we're about to see the crime bill go through that you're like, <laughs> guys, I, uh, don't uh, do that. Uh, uh, yeah. Fuck. Um, so if you haven't seen it, we recommend it. But if you're someone who is um, <clears throat> coming to this thing, like you, you, you saw Jordan Peele talk about it and you thought, well, oh, Jordan Peele likes this movie. It must be woke as shit. Just let me let you know, it is not. It doesn't mean it's not great. It doesn't mean it's not awesome. But uh, if if someone there had had a, just a little more insight to say, 
can we just recast this role? Because what you think you're doing is not working. Yeah. For you. What you think you're not doing, you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, so that's Candyman. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the sequel, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Be right back. Candyman, flesh and blood? I'm afraid not. But he lives in the mirror. You say his name five times, he's supposed to come. That's how he gets you. You guys don't really believe that, do you? There's no such thing as a Candyman. Those three victims were John Doe's. What if it's true? What if the Candyman does exist? What did you see that night? Ray's body was torn apart by something powerful. And what your brother? I'm gonna find out what happens. No! No! There are no monsters. You brought me here. And only God can save us. The terror in the mirror returns. Our journey begins. To avenge his name. Reveal his past and fulfill his destiny. What do you want from me? Death is a return, you know. In a motion picture that ends what the first one barely started. Candyman, farewell to the flesh. And we are back to talk about Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Now, Liam, did you know that Farewell to the Flesh, what it means is that because it takes place on Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras is a carnival. Carnival means the Flesh Festival. It's on Mardi Gras, so they're saying goodbye because it's Fat Tuesday and it's almost Lent, so they're saying farewell to, to, fat, to flesh. It's a farewell to the flesh. That's what it means. Did you know that? Okay. Yeah, that's what it means. So, made in 1995, this movie is about how the Candyman arrives in New Orleans, New Orleans, and sets his sight on a young woman whose family was ruined by the immortal killer years before. Now, let's talk about this movie. I'm going to go first. I'm not nuts about this movie. Because, uh, for one, I think the narrative that she has to find the source of the Candyman's powers, this movie feels like when you watch it, you're like, did I miss like three Candymans between this one and the first one? You know how like in, what is it, with the final Friday or whatever, Jason goes to hell when they find out like the source, like that there's the, the dagger, the fucking bounty hunter has to, has to kill him. That's kind of what this movie feels like, is that they finally found the source of the Candyman's powers and it's this mirror. Right. This is a, uh, we talked about this a little bit. One of the things I have a problem with, and this happens it happens a couple times in Nightmare on Elm Street movies too, in a few different things. Right? Is the MacGuffinization of horror? I don't like it. So it's like, <clears throat> how do we take this to a level where we can sort of wrap it up, or at least wrap up this chapter? Well, there needs to be a a thing for people to do, and when there's a thing for people to do, then it's an adventure movie. 
I don't care how gory it is. I don't care that there's a bad guy. As soon as our characters have agency yeah. and a goal, they're on a fucking adventure. Yes. And uh, I like adventure movies, but I don't need my horror films to be adventure movies. Now, I say that, there's probably someone could go, what about Dream Warriors, Liam? Because I do really like Dream Warriors. It's okay. I've I seen like it. it. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the rare exception to the rule. Most of the time, as soon as you add in a goal for people to fight for in a horror movie, it's no longer a horror movie. Or I can't say that because you know horror is lots of things, but it's no longer a horror movie I'm going to enjoy very much. Yeah. And so that's what happens in this film. Uh, in fact, I want to defend this movie only to the extent that I like some of the decisions it makes. Okay, like what? Connecting Candyman to her family, I think, is great. Mm, it worked better if she was, you know, actually black. See, I actually think it works because she's not. I don't know. I because okay, my problem with the fact that she's a white woman is that what they're saying is the part of you that is bad is that you have like a black ancestor. And that's the, very the exact opposite in the, every way. And at the very end, when she's showing that book to her daughter, and she shows him the picture of Daniel Robineau, aka the fucking Candyman, and daughter's like, "Who's that?" And instead of going like, "Well," and then it's like fades away because they're gonna, she's gonna talk about who her her great great grandfather was, who was murdered for loving a white woman. Yeah, they are me. She's like, "I'll tell you another time." And I just think that completely nullifies the fact that she has a black ancestor. I hmm, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that. Uh, I mean, no, we're wrong. I'm not saying this is a perfect thing, but I think what the what it's trying to do is reconnect. It's it's reconnecting these people together. So, in the sense that what the first film does is, uh, in an unfortunate way, disconnect the white folks in the movie from the history of violence connected to Candyman, and in this movie. Her family is directly connected. Okay. And I think the the best part of that is actually the scene where he's being killed. And these people are taking like great joy. Like this is the funniest thing that's happened that day. Yeah. His murder. That scene is effective and it's fucking ghastly and it works and it shows the horror of what spawned the Candyman. That's not the problem I have with it. It, it, it the problem I have with it is like See, to me, when, when you say, like, oh, it's like this evil part of her is Candyman, I didn't see it that way at all. I don't think that's what the movie says at all. Quite the opposite. That the evil is the fact that they've hidden this th- this thing from her. And in that sense, and I, I, the movie could do more with this, but it's just simply a fact. One of the best parts of these, uh, the stupid white obsession with getting genetic testing is uh, people finding out that they're part African. <laughs> If you if you live in America, even if you're super pale, there's a chance you got a little bit of something in there. Yep, because of the history of our country, and so uh, I like that. Now, do I think it would be better if she was less starkly white, or if it was further in the past, so that it would have been easier for her family to sort of um, selectively choose to uh, hide that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this theme of people who are secretly black is a is a cinematic theme. It's happened in a lot of films. It's like it's Soul fun. Man. No, um, it, it's happened in, in a few different things, and and I think that the idea there is more about, um, to me at least, 
a family secret, a hidden history. And the shame is not Candyman. The shame is the murder. And then the pretending like it didn't happen. I guess, but... Again, I I don't think it's perfect, but I actually think thematically it works better than the first movie. It just is not a very good movie. Yeah, no, I I mean, I'd be inclined to agree with you, except like they... They make it a point to to um, first off. I forgot that I know that Veronica Cartwright was in this movie. When she showed up, I was like, "Fuck right. yeah, this right. is be fucking awesome!" Yeah, I can't wait for she for her to die and it'd be heartbreaking. Yeah, um, the fact that she makes it a point to tell her daughter that my great grandmother was raised as a white girl. Uh-huh. I the fact that they specifically chose to say that says to me that there is a touch of shame to the fact that there's like, you know, a little bit of that in the fan, a little bit of pepper thrown into the Wait, salt. what do you mean? I'm confused how that, how does that not work with what I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Explain that. If she me. had just been raised as like, your father was a black man who was killed because he loved me, that's fucked up. That's what should, that's, that's, that's what's embarrassing. That that it's embarrassing. That no, he, that d- would defeat the whole fucking purpose. Everything you're saying is wrong. I don't know. No, then then there's no shame. The, if she had raised her knowing the truth, then there's no theme to the fucking movie. There's no Candyman. The whole point of the fucking Candyman is that you were ashamed and you hid the past. If there's no hiding of the past, there's no mm-hmm. fucking movie. I don't know. What you're saying is literally the opposite of the truth. It's so insane to me that I don't even know how to process how you can think this. Here's the fact. The movie is about the shameful history of the family. Yes. Right? And that none of them have been able to live into the the truth. And now the truth has come to seek revenge for them okay, not being able to process it. What I'm saying is, is they're not talking... Okay. But they're, 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 they're not only hiding the fact that he that the ancestor was... It's not like there was a mixed race child and they were just like, we're just, we're just, we're, we're, we're going to admit, we're going to admit that my great grandmother was of mixed race. We're going to, we're, we're going to admit that. Like we come from the fact that her, her great, great grandfather was murdered for loving a white woman. Mm-hmm. And then the resulting child was raised as a white child. If they had raised that as a mixed race child and then, Would it defeat the whole purpose of the movie? What you're saying doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make sense. No. If, why would the people murdering him okay. are her fucking family? Yeah. Why would the racist who murdered him then go, well, we got to treat her like she's part. But what I'm saying is, is like, they make it a, they make it a point to, to, to show, to show that her black heritage was also covered up. Of course it was. You are separating two things that cannot be fucking separated. Hiding the black heritage and the murder are the same fucking thing. Okay. You can't separate them. They are the same thing. The hidden thing is that there is no separating the two. They can't say, oh yeah, your dad was black, but let's not tell her that we murdered him because he was black. That, the, there's no world that doesn't exist. That's okay. a lie. Okay. That's a fantasy. It couldn't, it couldn't be. The only option is, oh... You're pregnant? All right. Well, we're going to raise this kid like they're white. We're not going to explain why they look a little different. We're going to make sure that they marry white, and we're just going to hide this thing happened. Because guess what? That's how it happened. That's why there are white people who don't know that they have black in their uh, bloodstream. But what I'm saying is is I don't think that... I don't know. I, I just I, I, I don't think that the family was actually ashamed that they killed a black man. I think they were ashamed that there was a, black, a mixed-race child. 
Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, that has nothing to do with it. what what you're saying has nothing to do with it. How does it not? Of course they're not ashamed that they killed. Why would they be ashamed? That's not the point at all. The shame is that they're killing him because of the shame of what she did. Yeah. And that's the big no, secret. What I'm saying is is that I think that like I don't I don't know. I I just I think that in the uh, this movie kind of it, it it makes it out the way it's I don't know. It just makes me a little uncomfortable that they they make the one that they don't really address. Like that scene at the end where she's like, we'll talk about him later. And I mean, I don't know that that's a great uh, way to handle it, per se, but I don't think that has anything to do with the theme of the rest of the movie. I don't know. I think the movie's trying to do a better job of actually using his backstory. The first movie is just like, yeah, he slept with a white woman, he was killed, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then they just move on with it. And you see reflections of it and how he interacts with Virginia Madsen, but it's not an important part of the film. This film goes, I don't know, guys, it seems pretty important. And and, and they highlight that by saying, instead of it being in the, uh, you, you know, there's this idea of it happening in the Chicago, uh, in Cabrini Green, where there was a great migration of folks from the South. So it's like they're bringing their ghosts with them. Yeah. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense. But since we're personalizing it more, it makes more sense to put it in New Orleans. So we're in New Orleans. There's connections. Everything is intertwined. Yeah. Um, it's a little messy because literally the culture of New Orleans is like everyone fucking. So like having a story about that is a little weird in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a little too obvious maybe, but whatever. Um, and so for what she realizes is like what the film does is say, look, like um, Candyman is just not a disembodied boogeyman that has nothing to do with history and lived experience. Yeah. Candyman is a part of this place and it's not a part of this place connected only to this other community that you're not a part of. You're a part of this community actually that in fact, and this is true. This is unfortunately the reality everywhere, right? That like, um, the reason there's so much, uh, there ha- there has a certain amount of diversity in in the way a lot of us look is because of a uh, a bunch of you know consensual and non consensual interactions and there's results of that yeah and so I think this film is maybe not very well but a little bit more acknowledging that and so the idea of like well the family is hiding their shame that they have a mixed race child. Yeah, that's the point. And now Candyman is going to get the fucking bloody revenge for it because they murdered him. That's the whole idea here. And then by saying it's like what the film does is say, oh, instead of the 50s model, right? Yeah. It's, what's the, the horror model of the 50s is there's a danger outside. So we have to huddle up to keep the danger out. Yeah. And then the 60s, it was like the danger's in the house. Yeah, yeah. This movie does that. Like, oh, the the boogeyman, the scary the scary uh black man who's coming for you yeah he is you're you're his you're related that's you you're part of this this isn't a problem somewhere else and i think that's meant i think what the film does well is having her already be someone who's like a helper who's helping out that community she's very much in her relationship to them though it's very loving there's still a separation there of like i have all this privilege and I'm like helping these kids, and they don't know. And like the reality is, 
uh, you're a part of the blood that haunts this community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're deeply tied to it. It's yeah. it's, it's a part of you. Uh, if the argument is only by not telling her daughter, it sort of dismantles some of that. I'm actually willing to. That's fine. That's a fine criticism. That, no, but, that, I, but I still think the theme still carries through. I just don't think the movie, again, I think you could still level the same ultimate criticism that like all the movie does is do a better job with his backstory. Yeah. It's still not a film that like really is too interested in like the deeper race issues there. It just does a slightly better job of being like, I just, uh, yo, this is sort of his tragic story. I, so if the, like, I could buy into that if no one in the family knew. Why, why? I don't. Again, that doesn't make. But why didn't why them knowing? It makes. It, w- this is why I'm confused. It's not that you we disagree on the movie. And so let me be clear, y'all. When I'm keep making fun of Justin, I don't actually care about that. It's that each time you bring up a point that you're like, well, this is one of the reasons. I'm like, no, that's one of the few good things. You keep bringing up the good things as flaws. These are the only things the movie does well. I just wish. Why didn't the father tell her? Why would he tell her? It's not. It's not a shameful secret if you tell people. <laughs> and the father only, the her father only figures it out and then dies. And she's too young. Remember, he, her brother is the only one old enough to remember yeah. this happening. She's a child. And even the, the, the brother who's a little bit older doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know that he fully, the father fully knew either. He just knew the family was connected. I don't think he quite understood, like, oh, wait, my wife is a direct descendant of Candyman. Yeah. Her great, great, great grandfather horribly murdered her great, great grandfather. Right. I think that's, I think that all fits in with the theme. I, again, I'm not saying the movie handles the theme well in the sense of, like, it's still very much a white gaze on this topic i think that's but i what's think it does a me. better job i think it does a significantly better job than the original it just doesn't matter because it's not i mean we're sort of arguing about the thieves and this something. is this is not a hill to die on no this is like us arguing about the themes in uh insane anger we're 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 definitely arguing about do the themes in insane anger vibe with the themes in uh other Metallica albums. This would be like if Maeve took a shit in a diaper. And I was like, I don't think it's that bad though. I think this, <laughs> I think this is a, I think this is more like, uh, you know, Maeve had a pee accident. It's not quite a. Full William, poop. she her pee looks dehydrated. And you're like, fuck you, man. I, I, she, I, she's drinking water. I know. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think she's dehydrated. <laughs> the point. All I'm saying is, it, I'm not saying it's a great movie. I just think it's funny that I think this not as good movie is more sensitive to the themes. I think, because you had said like, oh, I think there's even more white savior stuff here. And I'm like, how? She's not a savior. She's this patsy. Everyone else, the kids in the end, no more. She, In fact, she's not the savior. If it wasn't for these kids, these poor kids, she'd be fucked. She, she in every way fails. She fails her husband. She fails her brother. She fails her mom. She, the only thing she ever does that ever shows any insight is uh, she breaks the mirror. That's it. Yeah. Which, by the way, is part of the reason this is a most egregious version of a MacGuffin movie, in that it's like, okay, so Candyman is good at everything, except for then you find this mirror literally just like taped to a wall, <laughs> and then you smash it. That's what makes it so frustrating for me. But like, I don't think there's a white savior thing going on. I think it really is trying to say like, 
hey guys, like all of our histories are tied up together, man. Like just whatever Candyman wants to love this woman, like we can all just be together, like one humanity. And so I think by acknowledging there's something to say, the movie does a better job. But it's still like, oh fuck, man! Like you really screwed the again. This is for me. I would actually say this is more like the white dreadlock guy than the first movie. Okay, because I think this movie really does have good. I think the first movie isn't as good intention as we think. I think not that the guy's a bad dude or anything, but I think I just don't think he's sensitive to the issues he's touching on. He just saw something scary and was like, "I'm going to run with it," not realizing like, "Oh, that." And he made an amazing scary film. Yes, but it just doesn't. Whatever. This movie was a little bit more like, okay, I think we can really like actually make this more authentic. Whatever. And more authentic means basically a white guy with dreads (laughs) who's like, "Hey, hey, hey, I've read." Some W.E.B. Du Bois, all right? I get it. <laughs> and you're like, yo, I mean, good job. At least you didn't say Booker T. Washington. But still, man, still, I don't know that this works. It's not as bad. It's not a, It's not as egregious as an all-white reggae band. Sure, no. But it's close. It's very close. Um, yeah, I guess that was a lot of arguing about a movie that's not that good. I'm sorry, y'all. But the point is, is that for me, I think this is a, this would be a serviceable sequel if the first one wasn't so good. Yeah. And I think the inclination to like deepen his backstory as a way to uh, make it feel more authentic. Uh, and, I, and I don't know that he's trying. I, I just know he's acknowledging race more. I don't know if he's doing that because he is an anti-racist or something. I'm not even saying he's pro-black in the way that we are mean today. All I'm saying is this director went, I just feel like the first movie didn't have enough black stuff in it. <laughs> And I just feel like it really created a weird separation. And I think by well, Clive Barker wrote the story, so I'm inclined to think that he was probably like, "Ah, uh, okay." Um, how do hmm. I how do I do a slightly better job with this? Not that I think Clive Barker is the best on race, but I think he's pretty good for an old British dude. He's, he's okay. Well, knowing that he wrote the story, I'm surprised that they didn't banish Candyman by like I don't know, jerking, jerking off, off into a sigil, and then like I don't know. <laughs> And and then she grabs the mirror and she shoves it up Candyman's ass. And then he drinks a gallon of his own piss and cuts that off a dove. <laughs> oh, Clive Parker. Um, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I'm here for it. So yeah, I, look, if you're a Candyman completist, part two's better than part three? <laughs> I've never seen part three. Oh, <laughs> man. I want to say this movie did have one genuinely, truly haunting scene that... I was like, whoa, that was really fucking good. Yeah. It's the scene when um, uh, Annie is in the um, in her classroom and she's like talking to her students and one of them brings up like Candyman and she's like, you guys don't really believe in Candyman, do you? And then the shot, it, it's just a shot of all the fucking kids just staring at her like, what are you fucking crazy? Of course you believe. It's just like there's something in the, like the, the way those kids look and the way it's like a wide angle shot. And there's just, I was just like, that is such a fucking gorgeous, effective shot. For me, if I was going to write something more academic about both these movies, both these movies are haunted by a truth, which is that um, white America doesn't know itself, right? Okay. Black America knows white America. They they know us. Yeah, yeah. As James Baldwin said, black folks don't need the exorcist. They already know the devil is inside your little girl. Yeah, yeah. So they don't need they don't need that, you know. And they certainly don't believe the devil is interested in haunting uh, a little girl just because her mom's like a mildly liberal actress. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Really not that interesting. Um, in the same sense, like the 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 ghost haunting both these movies is that there's something they know 
in these neighborhoods and in these communities that you fucking don't. You think you're the master of the world. You think you have everything under control. You know, in the first movie, she's an academic. She's on top of the world. She gets it. She's going to go in there. She's going to study these people, and she's going to expose the reality. And what she finds is something she wasn't fucking prepared for. Not at all, yeah. In this movie, it's like this, like you don't know what's going on here. And even more so, you're implicated. Yeah. You're a part of it, and you don't fucking know because you live in a dream world. You don't, you don't know, know yourself. You don't know, yeah. yeah. And in that sense, both these movies are touching on those things that are really good, but it can't get at them. I think because they're so white, you know, like like I think all of white America suspects there's something they don't know. Yes, it's why. Okay, now the movie trope that a lot of black characters in these two movies have, I posit it's not so much the magical Negro. Sure. Who comes along and helps white people out with their problems. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, you mean the Bagger Vance. The Bagger Vance. It's yes. not the Bagger Vance. It is more the mystical Native American. Sure, it's a it's an Africanized version of it's, that. It is. Right, right, right. Because it's like, literally, what the fucking 10 minutes into Candyman, the first one, when Virginia Madsen is like, she's talking to all these like knowledgeable fucking student white people, and they're like, oh, my boyfriend's cousin's best friend's sister's babysitter. Yeah, happen to him. And she's talking to all these people, and she's like, oh, I can't get to the bottom of this. And right. then who reveals the truth? Who sets her down this path? A black janitor. Right. You know what I mean? And then it's like, all along the way, she meets these like these black people who 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 know more, who know something that she doesn't. And I don't mean like in the, the fucking real world cool way. Like, um, I don't know, they know how to season their food properly, because I don't. I mean like, mystical shit like literally mystical shit they're connected they're to connected something more to, raw they're, they're connected to, to a spiritual yeah, level yeah, that we don't yeah, see yeah, 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 yeah that is by the way in the first movie you can so easily see how this trope is being written onto this community from folk horror that like the idea is like in in an in a folk horror story this would be a poncy fucking aristocrat. Yeah, yeah. Slowly getting closer to the poor, and the poor are like, yeah, Candyman, I saw him just the other day. You know what I mean? Like, he killed my brother. You know, like, yeah. there's this connection to the real that you're separated from by your privilege. This movie then writes that onto the black community and then reveals to us basically how the way uh, the African-American community functions in America is an internal colonization. That yes. they are colonies and we are colonizers. Yes. And so uh, it becomes, instead of being the fucking blood on Satan's claw or the wicker man, by putting it in Chicago, it suddenly becomes uh, the heart of darkness, you know, or, yeah. or something along those lines. A fucking apocalypse now. You know what I mean? It becomes that sort of thing. Uh, and I think connecting it to the Native American trope uh, is very good because it really is that, you know? Um, what uh, Again, which is even more interesting to me, again, abstractly, because this movie is not that interesting, in, <laughs> in, the, in the second movie, because the truth that no one can reveal to her until she discovers it for herself is, yeah, you're the fucking, you are her, the child. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. are the result. Like, you are the, the lineage of this. And we're paying the price, right? Katie Man, for the most part, is not killing just her family. Her family has to like call him forth, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, there's this string of murders and the whole community is being affected and it's, you know, her legacy. They're paying her blood price. Well, her mom's. But her mom's still, blood price, yeah. Veronica still. Cartwright's blood price. Sir, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<sighs> There's a lot to talk about with these movies, but There's a I lot will to unpack. straight up say, just watch Candyman. You don't need to watch the sequel. And I'm excited for Nia DaCosta's movie. One hundred percent excited. I watched it trailer the other day, and I got fucking hyped. I just really wish this, the sequel was better. I think uh, on paper there's some strong stuff there, but a as a horror movie, it's not that good. No, it's just not that scary. It's not that scary at all. I don't think any of the performances are that strong. No, they're not terrible. No, it's terrible. You can't in in the first one. One thing you can say is even the bad quote unquote bad performances, which I don't really think there are not there are any. You can't accuse anyone of chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. This movie is everyone. Except for Veronica Cartwright and Tony Todd chewing the t- scenery. Her fucking brother is like, come on. <laughs> no! Don't do that! No! And then that fucking Claude DeRoe fucking goddamn yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. private investigator she meets. He's like, oh, my mon ami is you going to yeah. find a candy you man. You are so sweet for the sweet. Yeah, get the fuck out of here with that fucking cornbread deep fried hey, bullshit all i do de- all i do is dealing stolen items in water ice. <laughs> can i give you a snow cone the candy man come down here i'll make him some gumbo make him sweat i got something for you to lick upon oh god shut the fuck up it's this ice sugar ice <laughs> um yeah you're right it's real disgusting and then even the trope that like the missing dude the missing kid that his dad is a local pastor well, thank you. thank you for coming on down here to talk to me about it. You're like, oh, So, God, come on, fuck. man. Jesus, fuck. Really? <sighs> but that being said, I did get more Tony Todd. I love Tony Todd. Give me all the Tony Todd in the world. Yeah. He, I just want to say, th- okay, th- Tony, Tony, brief, we're going to take a, a brief Tony Todd appreciation moment. Tony Todd is, I've never seen an actor who is capable of being so menacing and like terrifying, i.e., when he does the voice of Professor Zoom, even when he does the fucking voice of uh, the what's it call it in the 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 shitty Transformers movie, um, you know the one that Michael Bay did, the bad one. He does the voice of the one robot, not and it's fucking fright. I mean, granted, there's like you know electronic devices on it, but you're like that's Tony Todd. That's Tony Todd sounding terrifying. I mean, and then you see him in like Night of the Living Dead, and he's so gentle and tender towards Barbara, and he's so protective. And he just like I just I don't know he's just a man he's a man of all seasons, and I I just love Tony Todd. He's one of my favorites. I wish two and three were less bad. Yes, so do I. But oh well, watch Candyman. Yeah, watch it. Go see the the Nia DaCosta film. Check it out. I think that's it for this episode. Check us out on whatever podcast broadcast platform John you're listening to. If you're on iTunes, do us a favor. Give us a review and then a rating and then subscribe. And you know, you can download too. We're also on Spotify. I don't know why I'm telling you this because you're listening to this episode. Head to www.cinepunks.com for episodes of this show and a lot of great other podcasts. Boogs B-Sides, B-Sides of Boogs, uh, Wine and Cheese, Tomb of Ideas, Fat Girl Hacks, some other stuff. Another podcast called Cinepunks. You can check it out. A lot of cool articles on there. This Justin just put a new one out today. You can go check it out. Um, head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks if you want to be a patron. We are asking you very, 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 very nicely to be a patron. That would be wonderful. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at theharbiz666. Same on Instagram. And uh, I guess go check out Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. The, uh, the underscore LVAC 
on Instagram, the LVAC on Twitter, www.xlvacx.com. They got a lot of cool shit coming up. Go check them out. And until next time, Black Lives Matter! Thanks, y'all. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Hey! Hey!